Glory to God. I'm excited about Emmanuel preaching. The guy's full of life. You know, that guy's been walking with the Lord for a long time. He's plopped his heart out on the table with God. He's let God discern his heart. He's lived through some good times with the Lord. He's lived through some bad times with the Lord. And, uh, man, something beautiful about walking with God is even when you live through bad times, he brings forth like a diamond, right? He brings forth a, a beautiful life and understanding and revelation. It's not that the hard times are the power unto revelation, but when you're walking with the Lord and you, you, you encounter some darkness, man, and, and you know God, a lot of times God can show you things or give you discernment that can be helpful to other people, right? Um, so it'll be real good talking with Emmanuel. As you can see, everybody's afraid to be in the, the camera picture. Um, <laughs> and that's why they're not sitting at the table. But glory to God. Uh, before I just take over the meeting, is there anything anybody wants to talk about? Any thoughts? Any questions? Any rebukes or chastisement? You know, your best bet to rebuke and chastise me is on the live stream. <laughs> I'm joking. You can chastise me anytime. One of the things I love about our group, if you're thinking about one of the, one of the things I love about our group is we ain't a bunch of yes men, if you allow me that language, right? People here aren't just like, well, whatever Greg says, that's just the way that it is. No, we like wrestle with it and weigh it with it and we argue it. And I don't mean in a negative way, but we are like Bereans and get in the scriptures. And I love this about the, the body of Christ. And one of the worst things I see that's happened in ministry is ministers uh, value their ministry so much that they can't even handle being questioned without having like a temper tantrum, right? And acting out. In the day you come and question them, it's some type of personal offense, right? As ministers, it's a horrible thing for you if you're sitting in a situation like that where the people in your church cannot question you or disagree with you passionately and you guys can't go off and talk about it, Right? That's, it's not a good deal for ministers to have that kind of situation, right? And it's actually the sign of a fragile ego where the moment people want to disagree with you, now they're out, right? And, and you have to now tear down their person because, after all, it's your ministry, right? There's one ministry. It's the Lord Jesus' ministry. We just want to point to his ministry, and we want to come together as a body and be able to, with all the gifts and callings we have, weigh the ministry of the Lord Jesus together. And that helps fill out the picture, right? Anyone have anything on their mind? Anything powerful in their life this week? Anything they want to share? Yeah, Greg, we used to belong to a church. Uh, we'd have group meetings. What, what were they called? Covenant groups. Covenant groups, yeah. Um, and um, basically we'd discuss the message from Sunday. And like you said just a bunch of yes people you know it was awesome it was great you know everything he said was amazing and and every now and then we would maybe bring up something that maybe we didn't agree with and we'd notice the group leader taking notes <laughs> and the group leaders would meet with the pastors after the meeting to talk about what went on and uh we knew that there was uh times when they would talk about what we would come up with, especially when we were kind of listening to your messages while we were still there. And we would bring up the grace part of God 
that didn't always agree with the legalistic message that we had just heard and we would uh yeah we we knew it was uh it was happening and it was it was kind of the beginning of the end of our tenure at that church but no you're right there are too many churches where it's just a bunch of sheep that whatever you say that's it we'll go with that yeah and usually that's their only exposure to the bible you know they wouldn't do any of their own studies which is what we always did and no it's it doesn't make for a very productive arrangement in the church when that happens yeah, it doesn't help the minister it, it's i think it's the worst for the minister um at the end of the day for the ministers because i don't think it's the people that that have the biggest problem in, in this dynamic i don't think it's good for the people either but if you're a minister and you and you're listening to this um don't take it personally if people question what you say only good can come from people questioning what you say and don't let the pressing you might feel, because sometimes it doesn't feel comfortable when people question what you say. That's okay if it doesn't feel comfortable. You only preach because you want to preach the truth. And so you might not feel comfortable should someone question what you say, but don't let that be assigned to you, right? Only good can come from people questioning what you say. Either you're going to get a deeper revelation of what you're already trying to say, and you'll be able to express it with more clarity, like it's a refining of the word. If it's the truth, when the truth is questioned, it becomes refined and it becomes more clear how to how to express it, right? Or you'll come to a revelation that what you said was wrong, and that's good too, yeah, <laughs> right? It, it's you can't be justified by being right. And so, if you're a minister, if you're sharing, man, you can't be justified by being right. There's one who's right. It's God, right? There's one who's good. It's God. And so it's a beautiful thing to come together like that. And I know with Gary and Shelly, um, one of the things that's, that's helped me in whatever capacity you want to see me functioning in, in the body of Christ, my conversations with Gary and Shelly, where they're not just yes people, and we talk about the scriptures. They're not sowing discord or trying to just be opposed, but hey, let's talk about this. And it helps it. There's other people in, in, in this group that are like that. Maurice is that way. Jim is that way. Um, my parents are that way. Linda's that way. I remember when I was asking my dad one day about something. He was all, listen, Greg, don't get it confused. And I'm paraphrasing some of his language. He's all, I love you and you're my son. He's all, but I also know your background. And so I know that you could just be wrong about something. And so I, I'm amening what you say because I'm going to God with it. Right, and I'm believing that's what God's saying. It ain't just because you're saying it, right? And and it's better for the whole group for it to be that way. And I don't think the body of Christ is in that way. I think we have a lot of people who think it's their ministry, and not only do they think it's their ministry, but if you think it's your ministry, what happens is is the ministry becomes the most important thing, not the people. And then what happens is is you're easy to just cast people to the side. You don't really care about the people. You're not valuing the people. You're valuing your ministry. And if someone questions what you say, now all of a sudden you see them as being against the ministry, quote unquote. And that's how you start justifying it in your own heart to just cast them by the wayside and devalue them and just treat them like they're a piece of trash, right? And ultimately, if you, you dwell in ministry that way, that's the only thing that can come out, right? It's not that you're a bad person and you're cognizantly choosing to do that. It's that if that's your view of ministry, that's how your heart will function, 
right? Your heart has to function that way. It has to get rid of the people because it sees the people as being in the way of the ministry. Instead of realizing people are the ministry, right? Their hearts are the ministry. The building of their hearts is the ministry. And walking with people is what ministry is all about. And so if your idea of ministry causes you to just cast people by the wayside that, that disagree with you or question what you say, you got a big problem, right? Because that's not really ministry, right? When your ministry is the ministry, when people walk away from that ministry or, or have an issue with what's being taught in that church and they, they leave, you say, they will never rob us. Yeah. But that's not necessarily true. What happens if you're in a church where someone is just teaching something that's not right or they disagree with, but, but they're not accepted, they're, they're challenged and say, well, I'm the minister, you're the laity. And because I'm the ministry and I know everything, you gotta believe what I'm teaching. So when the conflict comes and someone says, I really don't believe what you're teaching in this particular case is true. They depart. But it doesn't mean that the one who departed left the faith or, or, or left the ministry because the ministry isn't your ministry. The ministry is God's ministry. Yeah. So if you're in God's ministry, how can you walk away from that? Well, I think too, I think it's sad that I think the body of Christ um, I think I think some in, in the in in just oh, I can't say the word. Some ministers forget that the same Holy Spirit that's inside of them is inside of every single person in their church. If you're a believer, you're a believer, and you have the you have the Holy Spirit in you. So the same God that's in them is the same God that's in me. And I think it's sad sometimes because when you're in those situations, the lay people, like you know, not the non ministers. It's sad when you feel like you can't speak out. And it's sad when you, you're feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit of something, whether it's correct or not correct, or you just want to bring something forth and you feel like you can't do that because you're the lay person and they wouldn't receive it from you. Right. And we've walked in that a lot. And it, it's sad and it's unfortunate because God's speaking to your heart. And what they're saying is, is I don't want to hear what God's, I, I don't want to hear that because they think it's coming from you and not from God. They think they're the only ones hearing from God. and. Show me in the scripture where it says that. Yeah, there, Show there me in the scripture where it says that. There is no, no laity. Exactly. In, I mean, we're all equal in the eyes of God. Everybody has different gifts. Sure. Absolutely. Functions in the body. But, you know. But it, there's no laity. Exactly. In. But it's sad that, that the body of, I feel like the body of Christ in the world today is really stifled. Yes. I think, they, I think they've been stifled for so long that they don't even know what it's like to be set free to just open your mouth and proclaim whatever God put on your heart. Yeah, it's it, it's sad. And again, it's the system. It's not the, it is the it's not the minister. Sure. No, no. Right, and 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 so the ministers, if they're functioning from that idea of the system, it's all it can produce. If you think it's your ministry, I just want to tell you what I'm talking about. The subconscious mind. I'm not right. talking about what you decide in your intellect to do. I'm talking about what will happen if you're deciding that it's your ministry. What'll happen is if you're the only one that hears from God, like Shelley just said about your ministry. So anything else anybody else would say couldn't possibly be from God because you're the one who hears from God. And the dangerous dynamic that it sets up is should anybody come and have a sincere mm -hmm. thought about what's being said, 
and want to look in the scriptures, you're not at liberty to even go there and consider it. Because after all, it's your ministry and you're the one that hears from God. And do you know what that ends up producing? You end up judging the people as accusers mm-hmm. yep. that might have a thought that is contrary. Your heart will end up judging them as they're just trying to sow discord amongst the brethren. Right. And you start coming with these unrighteous judgments about people that maybe are just seeing something different in the scriptures. Maybe they're not seeing it clearly, but maybe you're not seeing it clearly. And you want the judgment to be left out of it. You want to be able to engage with people. If I try to engage with people in the church from the platform that I'm heard from God, and you that means, therefore, you can't hear from God, I just want to tell everybody, if you don't understand that your own heart can be deceived, you're already deceived. That's right. <laughs> and I promise you, when your own heart is deceived, your own heart thinks it's hearing from God. It doesn't know it's deceived. And so there's one who's true. It's God. There's one person who can't be deceived. It's God. Everybody else has the ability to be deceived by their own lust, by their own desire, by their own confusion, by their own pain, by their own hurt, right? And if you can't understand that, you'll never be able to have an honest conversation with people where you actually weigh in the balance what's going on. That doesn't mean every time somebody questions you that they're they're seeing it clearly and you're not. And I, I, I say it that way on purpose because I think the whole right and wrong thing clouds the whole conversation. There is no who's right and who's wrong. God's the only one who's never been a liar. Let God be true and let everybody else be a liar. So it isn't which one of us is right and which one of us is wrong. It's let us both come together knowing that our heart has the ability to be deceived from time to time. God's the only one who can't be deceived. So let us both come together and weigh what we see here and let me understand that about myself and let me not judge the person in my group or in my fellowship or in the body of Christ that maybe sees it differently and is trying to share with me. Let me actually consider with them what they want to say without trying to call them the accuser. Just because somebody disagrees with your doctrine does not make them the accuser. Right? And if that's where you are, Your foundation for ministry is really messed up, right? And it's the worst for you as a minister. If every time somebody disagrees with your doctrine, you call them the accuser. That's the worst for you because now you've made yourself in the image of your own God. And now your, your gift is your God. And since you have this gift, therefore now you're the one that isn't a liar. And the whole body suffers. The whole body suffers, right? And but I, the whole body definitely suffers. I think for me though, my, I have a big heart for ministers because a lot of people sincerely get into ministry, but then they're taught ministry from this corrupt way, and so then their whole idea of ministry becomes born from this corrupt way, and they don't even realize they're living inside of it, right? Like I said, they're not over there on the chalkboard drawing out that they're going to do that. It's the end result of that way, right? It can't help but come out that way Mm -hmm. if that's your view of ministry, right? And so, yeah, it's. I love that about this group. And I've had intense conversations with several people in this group, and they could probably attest to it. It doesn't always feel nice when when you're in the moment rubbing things next to each other, right? It's not always like, oh, hallelujah, this is wonderful. It doesn't always feel 
real nice. But do you know what I want to say? It's the flesh that's weak in those moments. The spirit is willing. Right, And our flesh is trying to keep us from having these engagements and keep us from getting a greater revelation together of the truth. And the flesh is like, no, 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 we can't do this. No, no, it's not nice. We can't, no, 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 right? It's the spirit that's willing, right? And so I, I just want to say that it, it, it hasn't always felt nice to, to have conversations where it's, hey, what about this? This seemingly contradicts that. But it's a beautiful thing within the body of Christ for everybody. And you know what else? It, it has far-reaching implications, we, we tend to only look at the things we can tangibly look at and say, well, this is what, what we did, and so this happened. It has far-reaching implications within the body of Christ being knit together and within that body coming into a greater revelation of the truth. And it has far-reaching implications to everybody in the group coming together and worshiping God and not worshiping, quote-unquote, whoever has a ministry gift manifesting. We're not trying to worship people who have a ministry gift, Right? And so it, it has far-reaching implications where people can come together like that. The first week Gary was in church, he came up right after and was like, I don't know about that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> right? It was immediately questioning me. The next week he came up and did the same thing, immediately questioning me. Right? He's a rebel. That's not a bad yeah. thing. Right? It might not feel nice after you just preached your brains out. I'm speaking a lot to ministers. When ministers speak, ministers are human beings too, guys. They have hearts and feelings. And do you know why people preach and minister? They preach and minister for people to experience life. And so when a minister gets up there and ministers, do you know what, they, do you know what they're desiring to see? People come alive. People like, oh, hallelujah. Right? Well, listen, if you're coming up and disagreeing with what they said, it can feel not so nice initially, <laughs> right? It can kind of feel like, oh, man, I just did all that and nobody responded. <laughs> oh, and not only did they not respond, but now they're disagreeing, Lord, <laughs> right? And I just want to encourage the ministers, it's okay. let yourself feel that. It's okay. Don't make an unrighteous judgment about it, right? And get together. I know in my own life, I had to come to that place. A lot of you guys that have been in this church for a while, you already know this statement, but I say some things that are off the beaten path of cultural Christianity. Not only do I say some things that are off the beaten path, I say some things that just flat out contradict most every tradition that's been established about Christianity for the last thousand years. Well, there was a time where when I was doing this, you're looking at the faces. <laughs> Right when that when that teacher told me I was too intense, one of the things I I took on in my heart when I believed she was true, it was right. I took on this thing where I looked at people's faces to try to figure out if my intensity is hurting them or not. Right, so now I'm in the church, I'm uprooting all these things, I'm saying all these things people hadn't really heard, people hadn't even thought of really. They never even like been confronted with this kind of a thought before. One of the things is that the forgiveness of sin has nothing to do with God being angry. Well, listen, God had already persuaded me of that when I said it. And it wasn't a new thought to me. So on the inside, I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Hallelujah. But now I'm in the church telling a bunch of people that have never even heard that before. How many amens do you think I got? <laughs> it wasn't that they were against me. It was that they never thought of that before. And so they're trying to weigh it. Wait, what did I just hear? Wait, wait, what does that mean in light of this? And so they're trying to have a moment with the Holy Spirit in light of what's said. And so ministers, man, you, you ought to 
find yourself in the place where you can realize you can fall prey to judging what God is doing and what you're saying based on the reaction you think you're getting, right? It's okay if you find yourself in that place, but talk with God and commit it into God's hands and understand that many times, man, if you're preaching the truth, people are weighing things in their heart. And if their heart is actually being discerned, they're more concerned with trying to get with God about what he's ministering in their heart than trying to give you some amen. And what I want to say about amens and all of that, you know, you get amens when somebody already agrees with everything you just said. Amen. (laughs) If they've never heard it before and never had a chance to think about it, you ain't going to get no amens. (laughs) And that's okay. Because they need to be hit with it, and they need to be thinking about it, right? And we got to get out of this this min, this ministerial thing that, and I feel bad for the ministers because they were taught this. They didn't go and establish it themselves. As ministers, we want to get out of this place where we're looking for amens, right? We want to get out of this place. It's okay to get an amen, but we don't want to judge by whether or not we get an amen. It's like you can have people come in, and they'd be like, well, I didn't hear any amens. What's wrong with this body? <laughs> Maybe they're caught up with the Lord. Maybe it's more about what they're caught up with God than you, the one preaching. But you see, it goes back to this, my ministry, me, right? It's about me. It's about what I'm doing. It's about what I hear from God. All that kind of a thing. That's a ministry, not ministry. A ministry. (laughs) Wow. A ministry. And I say all that as a minister, having had to deal with the modern construct of ministry, and the, the temptation for ministers to think it's about them and their ministry and what they're building and their revelation and all of that. There's one revelation, it's the faith, right? And so many strains of Christianity get off into this, they think their stream is the stream, right? There is no streams, really, right? There is the faith. That's it. What is it? right? And that's what every ministry should be declaring. And you might have differing gifts inside of a ministry, right? But all of those gifts should be being built upon the faith. Yep. That's the only ministry. That's the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Well, that was a different, you know, when you and I would get together during our early tenure here, and I would come talk to you about things. You know, we come from a church where their big philosophy was God's in another league. God sees us like we see cockroaches, you know, yeah. and when you hear that for 10 years and then you start preaching how we're equal to God and we're part of the Godhead. And I'm like, <laughs> I-, I love that. But wow, that goes against a lot of what I uh, have been taught. And, you know, you and I would get together and talk about these things. But the difference was if I would go talk to the other pastor, he would kind of point out my error in thinking. But with you, it was basically I can understand why you would say that or feel that, but let me tell you why this is how it is. And I, I, not not to overblow it, but I almost felt at some point Jesus was talking to me in love, saying, "Yeah, I understand why you feel that way, but this is how it is." And I immediately heard that and accepted it and realized, "Yeah, that's the truth." Instead I, of pointing, because there's no condemnation in it. Right. Instead of pointing at you and saying you ought to be here, right. somebody's actually reaching down and grabbing you by the hands and let right. me help you get here. Yeah, right. exactly. So that that was a big difference, and and I'm sure you've lost people in the church that just could not see, couldn't let go of it. 
couldn't see eye to eye with some of the things you were saying. Yeah. And Gary, absolutely. As you said, you know, Greg said, Greg teaches, you know, not just Greg, we understand that we are a part of the Godhead in Christ. And as the words come out of your mouth, I get this little shudder in me because I'm thinking to myself, that really is not part and can sound almost uh, blasphemous. Well, maybe maybe blasphemous, but what I really mean is kind of new agey right. a little bit. Mm -hmm. okay? And somebody hear that outside the church and say, man, that's some kind of new agey church <laughs> over there. You know, they believe they are part of the Godhead. Right. But when you consider that thought and you go to God with it and you search the scriptures, listen, you know, the Lord's prayer is not our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The, the Lord's prayer is a prayer that he prayed right before he was crucified, that we would be one with him even as he is with the Father. Right. Now think about that. Would a righteous man, a right, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's effective, it's powerful, and it, it works. Well, Jesus prayed that prayer, that we might be one with him, Father, even as I am with you. Mm -hmm. And that is what Jesus did for us at the cross and through the resurrection. We are now one with the Lord. Now, if the Lord is one with the Father and the Godhead, aren't we? Mm -hmm. now, is that new agey? <laughs> really? It's a you, you, you know, for people who may have never heard that, it might sound new agey mm -hmm. or blasphemous. But when you think about Jesus' prayer, that the reason he came to earth is that we might be one with him. Then, is it new agey? That's the faith of Jesus Christ. That's right. It is the faith. The faith. That's the yes. faith. We're heirs of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you inherit God? Well, I tell you how. He comes and dwells inside of you and joins himself to you and braids himself together with you. Yeah. You're so one that you can't see a difference between the two. Right, and I don't mean you lose your personhood, but you're just so one that you don't see like a dividing demarcation of separation. Yep. But to Gary's point, yeah, Gary, do you know why? Because your heart was more important than me being right. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets lost when it's your ministry, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. You're the the man of God. You're the one with the anointing, right? It, it becomes about you. You notice how it's you, you, you? And, and ministry is about preferring the other people over yourself it's not about you getting uh a uh what do i want to say a ministry appointment are you getting uh to speak at this conference or that conference i mean you may do that also but ministry is about preferring the heart of the other person over yourself and so however you engage with the person whatever you think about what it is they said your mind or your heart should be filled with this person's heart. This person's life is precious to the Lord. You shouldn't be thinking about yourself and the harm that can come to yourself, right? And if you are, if you're thinking about yourself and the harm you feel and the harm that you think is coming to your ministry, then you're carnal. And it's okay. God's not judging you as evil, but you're, you've had your thoughts about ministry and life built on uh 
earthy, an earthy substance, right? And it doesn't mean you're going to get it right every time. Sometimes you could be having a bad week and, and you might respond with a, a, harsher, a harsher tongue. So it's not that we're going to find justification in doing this right, but we are going to talk about what the life of God looks like. The people that might disagree with your doctrine as a minister, this is good for, for you, for me, for everyone. The people who might disagree with your doctrine, their heart is more precious than your doctrine. And even if they might be coming from the wrong perspective, we want our response and our dealing with it to be preferring their heart and what they need to hear more than us defending ourselves and our doctrine and our ministry. Yep. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's what I sense every time we talked about things. And it, it was more about my heart than your ministry. And, and really, that's the heart of God. You know, he obviously, he thought more of us than himself. He died yeah. to make sure we would be with him forever. So That's right. In a ministry that gets that wrong, you can always see what it produces. The, the people in that are part of that congregation, they're constantly talking about my pastor and my church. Mm -hmm. And you rarely hear them talking about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, and it produces this thing in the minister so that if the rich young ruler were to come up to him and say, good master, he wouldn't say, why you call me good? He'd be like, it's good that you call me good. Yeah, right. <laughs> you got that right. And, and not, only, not only that will happen, what will eventually happen is you'll, your ministry will turn into you always telling people what they should do. Yep. Mm -hmm. Instead of your ministry being to preach the faith that was in the Lord Jesus. Do you know what happens when you preach the faith? It's the Lord Jesus discipling somebody. It's the Lord Jesus being somebody's rabbi. It's the Lord Jesus discerning their heart. It's the Lord Jesus seeing the places that are filled with lack and him getting inside of their heart and circumcising off of their heart the parts where they've identified with the world and the life they can have from the world. And it's the Lord Jesus ministering life to them, right? But if, if, if you're off in the place where it's your ministry and you're you're the one anointed what happens is is you're going to real quickly everything you're going to be talking about is going to be telling people about their behavior and what they aren't doing right that they should now be doing right right instead of preaching Jesus because now you're rabbi right i'm rabbi i have the anointing right and that's a very dangerous place for any human being. And, and also, when I engage with Gary and I engage with Maurice or anybody else, Jim, Matt, pe my wife, people, you, you guys might be shocked by this. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to embarrass my wife. My wife has disagreed with my doctrine before. <laughs> my mom and dad. My dad didn't say as much, but I remember they had a powwow at the beginning of the church wondering if I lost my marbles. <laughs> Because they never thought of the things I was saying, and it sounded so contradictory, right? It sounded so contradictory. Isn't that how Jesus' siblings felt? Like, he went off the rails. It is, but in all, those in all these conversations I have with people, I just, and this is this part of me sharing what's in my heart so people can know me better, but also so ministers could, could, under could, could hear just transparency, right? Anybody who might be a minister down the road. I'm very convicted about what I believe. Yep. When I come to a belief, I don't come to it lightly. I have thought about it in ways most people don't think are possible. I'm not just like shooting from the hip, right? Trying to find something to preach this week and I think, oh, okay, this sounds good. 
Like I've done weighed this thing. I put it in the fire. I, I spend a whole day trying to disprove what I want to say so I could see all the questions that might come up. I spend a lot of time doing that. So when I say something, when I believe something, I'm very convicted about it. But do you know what I always allow for? And my wife could testify to this. As much as people hear me sounding sure about what I believe, which I am sure about what I believe, but I always allow for the possibility that I might not be seeing it exactly right. So when somebody questions me, I go off and think about it actually. Like I go off and consider, I could be wrong. I might not be seeing it clearly. A speck, a splinter could have gotten in my eye innocently, not on purpose, but it could have happened. And so I think for ministers, it'd be very good for you if you would allow that in your own life. And it becomes very difficult if it's my ministry. I'm the the anointed one, right? I'm the one that hears from God. It becomes very difficult to even consider, you know what? It's possible for me to be deceived. Every minister ought to be able to say this inside of themselves. It's possible for me to be deceived, right? I don't think I am, but it's possible. So I'm going to go off and really weigh this with the Lord and weigh the scriptures and maybe keep talking with the person, right? To go back and forth. If you don't think it's possible for you to be deceived because you're a minister and because let's just say you have the apostolic gift. If you don't think that that you have the potential to be deceived, well, go read Peter. Peter was deceived. If you don't think you have the potential to be deceived, it's not a good place for your life, right? And you want to come to the place where you understand every human heart can be deceived, right? Possesses the ability to be deceived. And what that does is it becomes a healthy thing for you because if somebody questions you, you don't feel the need to defend yourself or to label them a sower of discord or an accuser. What you do is you'll ask them pointed questions so you could see how they might respond to the things you think might differ, and then you can go off and weigh it with God. Lord, am I seeing this from the wrong way or not, right? Does that make sense? Do you guys see, right? So if you're new to this congregation, we're not looking for yes people. I'm not looking for you just to agree because I said it. That doesn't help me and it doesn't help you. And I promise you this, I pray every day for the Lord to help me make the message more clear. And if questions come up, it will help me make the message more clear or I'll get a revelation. You know, the other thing that you get from, you know, ministries quite often is in the constituents, the people in the congregations, you get the terminology, this is what we believe. And, you know, I believe certain things. And as a group here, there is some commonality, you know, a like-mindedness that exists in this group. There's no question about it. But I will never tell anybody, this is what we believe. And the reason that is, is because when you attach yourself to uh, a philosophy or a teaching that is coming from a ministry, supposedly, 
you divorce yourself from your individuality and the ability to believe that you can discern the truth for yourself. You're attaching yourself to that philosophy. And I believe what we believe. That's what I believe. And it completely cuts you off from the ability to hear something else that is outside that ministry. Everything else becomes evil. Yeah. If, it's out, if it counters what we believe, it's evil. So, you know, people really value their independence. They value their ability to, to make decisions and, and make their own choices and believe for themselves. They value that. But then they say, this is what we believe. That's not a wise attitude to have. But that is what is fostered by ministries where the minister is the authority. Mm -hmm. He is the authority. And that, that's not... Instead of the faith. Instead of the faith. We want the faith to be the authority. Yes. And then the faith can be a simple foundation. And many branches could branch off of the faith. But when the faith is the foundation, you can talk about these branches in light of the faith. Yeah. And now you're not talking about an individual perspective. You're both looking at the faith to determine. Right? Which... which I didn't want to, you guys know how I like to ask you strange questions and I like to make you think, <laughs> right? And I kind of want to make people think about what is the faith? Because a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts about the faith. And it can be difficult to even come together and agree on what the faith is. And the, the question I want to pose to everybody when they weigh out what the faith is, I want to say this, and it's going to sound so weird. I've come to the place where I'm at peace with the things that I say and how weird they may sound. And some of the weirdness is intended for you to not really be able to, to weigh it and for you to have to inquire with God. Okay? But our re this wouldn't be that strange of a thought in certain sections of Christianity. But in Western Christianity, this would probably sound like a very strange thought based on feedback that I get. What was the gospel that was preached to Jesus? And that's what I want people to think about. What If we preach the gospel to Jesus, what would the message sound like? And some of you might be thinking, why would Jesus? How could we even weigh that? And that, that's why I said Western theology can make things sound funny. But this will help people really get in touch with what the faith is. Because Jesus is the Word made flesh. He's the word made flesh about what the faith is and, and to make it more simplistic to what the gospel message is. And so whatever we're believing about the gospel message, it ought to be able to have been preached to Jesus. And that would be a good barometer. And I'm just going to read this verse in Hebrews so people can write this down and go and read it. This is talking about Jesus. This is Hebrews chapter 5. You can start from the beginning if you want, but we'll read from verse 7. Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Do you guys see how it speaks about Jesus? Notice it says in the days of his flesh. 
Human beings, we struggle because we either focus on the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God, and that's all we know, or we focus on the humanity of Jesus, and he's only a human and he's not God. And we struggle to see that there's two things going on simultaneously, and we struggle to weigh things in that light. But the author of Hebrews comes and says, who in the days of his flesh, when he put off right, the immortality that he was clothed in with the Father from the beginning, and he put on a body that could die, and he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. It says he needed to be saved from death also. That's the word that it used. So what would have been the gospel message to Jesus? He and the Father are one and would never be separated. He and the Father are one and he would never be separated. Does anybody else have any other thoughts before I, I jump in? And, and I'll, I'll jump in real quick. And I'm not going to give my answer because I want people to twist on this with God. Because I think it would, if the whole body of Christ did this, we'd have a lot more unity. Because we're all defining our gospel by what we think. And the question ought to be, is the message I'm preaching, would it preach to Jesus when he was nailed to a tree? Because when he was nailed to the tree, the gospel was ministered to him in his heart. And what was that message sound like? And one of the things I would weigh out, was the gospel that was preached to Jesus that he could be saved from the anger of the Father? Was that the gospel? that Does that make sense with Jesus? I mean, he was perfect. He never sinned. So how could that be the message? Right? Even just thinking about that and weighing it next to, well, what would preach to Jesus? We'll just use an American section right now. And I'm not saying that it's evil to have possessions. Or that it's evil to have money. It's not evil to have money or to have possessions, right? It's what you think about possessions, right? Do you think the gospel of you can be blessed with money is the gospel Jesus heard? Of course not. Do you think the message of all the promises are yes and amen in the sense of the life you have from the world? going right for you? Is that the gospel that would have been preached to Jesus? What about you're highly favored and therefore you can expect all your finances to go right? You can expect that you're never going to be afflicted in this world. You can expect that no weakness or infirmity is ever going to come upon your flesh now because God's promised you. Does that sound like the gospel that was preached to Jesus? That's not the gospel. Not while he's hanging on a cross. That's that's what I'm saying. And I, I we use a, a a lesser of an example, right? I use with people sometimes. If you go to a third world country, a people who have nothing, does your message preach there? Right? Or are you going there? telling the people that they don't have what they need for life because they don't have all the riches that America has and that the gospel will now give them all the riches. Does that preach to people who have nothing? Does that bring peace to people who have nothing? Does, does everybody understand the path I'm trying to lead everybody on? Because I asked a question before we came into the, the new year last year, and I'm still not happy with the way I formed the question, but the question was, if Jesus hadn't come into the earth as the Messiah, would he still have ended up on the cross? And if so, why? 
I still think people ought to weigh that question out. Because when you come to the revelation of why Jesus, the Son of Man, forget about just Messiah, Jesus, the Son of Man, ended up on the cross, what will happen is the way of the cross will be born in you. And the way of the cross is the way to intimacy with the power of the resurrection, right? And also understanding what would the gospel, if we preach the gospel to Jesus when he was nailed to the cross, what would it sound like? What would it sound like? And that's the cue we should be taking for our ideas about what the gospel is, right? Yep. Is everybody following that? Does anybody have any other thoughts besides Jim? I was thinking that, you know, like at Jesus' baptism, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That kind of gospel, when you're nailed to the cross, and the reality that God would not leave yeah. his son in the ground to be for his, for his body decay, that God would save him from death, knowing and believing that this God who loves you and sees you as his beloved son would not leave you to die, that would preach to Jesus. Yeah, and amen. that is what preach to Jesus. Amen. You're that's not what, alone. You have my life. Amen. And that's what I was thinking. I was thinking when you said it, I was thinking, I am the Lord your God. You are my beloved son. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All that I have is yours. Mm -hmm. All you'll, you, will, you will suffer no lack. Everything yeah. I have. My life is your life. Yeah. That's what I was thinking when you asked the question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Corey said that the faith is the one thing God himself has and is bringing us into agreement in. And John Fazio said, for me, Psalm 16 is the gospel Jesus will be preaching. Glory to God. We'll just read Psalm 16 real quick since John can't speak. This is what Psalm 16 says. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul. Thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope for thou will not leave my soul in hell neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption thou will show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy at that right hand there are pleasures forevermore right amen and and Corey's absolutely right that the spirit is in the earth trying to unveil the faith for the body of christ so we could start seeing what the faith actually is Right? So the gospel that would preach to Jesus. What did Jesus need to be saved from on the cross? Did he need to be saved from God? Death. He needed to be saved from death. Hebrews says he looked to be saved from death. Now, as far as his belief in his heart, the gospel comes to protect your heart from the lies and the poison of asps of the enemy that's in the earth. So what is it that Jesus was hearing when he was on the cross? 
God's not with him. God's abandoned him. God's far from him. He's separated from what he needs to have life. He's separated from God. He's not alive unto God. He's alive unto sin. After all, look at this body of death. So here's a guy clothed in death. Here's a guy hearing all the voices and all the language in the earth telling him God's far removed from him, telling him he's dead to God, but he's alive to sin, telling him God's not with him, that he doesn't have anything that he needs for life, telling him that he's the rejected of God, the hated of God, the despised of God. And the body of death is the evidence. And so the gospel preached to Jesus would sound very much like what everybody said here. God is with you, right? You're not alive to sin. You're alive to God. God is with you. Everything you need to be justified from the death of this cross is in God. And God is there with you. And God will not allow your life to be overcome by the death of this cross. You do not have to preserve your own life from the death of this cross. You do not have to look at your own strength to come down off the cross. You don't have to look at your own strength to try to clothe yourself with life. The Father is there with you. His presence is with you. The life you're desiring is in his hand to give you right now. And that's what the Holy... Jesus didn't have a human to preach the gospel to him because nobody knew it. And in fact, everybody was in the place where the poison of asp was under their tongue. Even his disciples, it's not that they were accusing him, but even their understanding of God wouldn't have been able to preach to him because they had a completely perverted view of God. And so the Holy Spirit ministered in Jesus' heart. And that's the gospel. Do you think the Holy Spirit told Jesus, well, if you can get money, if you can give an offering to God, then you can get some money and you can be blessed. Does that sound like what the Holy Spirit would say to Jesus when he's nailed to a tree? Do you know what the gospel would be to Jesus? You can't be justified by the strength of your flesh. Neither can the weakness that's manifesting in your body keep you from the justification that's found in the Father. The salvation you need from this body of death is not found in your own strength. It's not found in your ability to come off the cross. It's not found in your ability to clothe yourself in the riches of the world. That's not where it's found. It's found in the Father of lights himself in the fact that he's with you to be the God that you need. Right? That's the gospel that the Holy Spirit would have preached to Jesus. Jesus would have needed his heart to be interceded for. And that's what the, the preaching of the gospel is supposed to intercede in people's hearts. A people who need to be justified with life. And do you know what it means to be justified with life? It means to be justified from the accusation that comes from the death that's in the world. Because the death that's in the world is all the time trying to accuse you. And do you know what it's trying to tell you? That you're alive to sin and you're not alive to God. Do you know what it means to be alive to God and not alive to sin? Like Paul would come and say, you're dead to sin and you're alive to God. What that means is that God is lifted up in your sight. And the life God has in himself is lifted up in your sight. And his hand stretched forth towards you, resting upon your head with life is lifted up in your sight. Instead of the death and the corruption and the weakness and the lack you see being lifted up in your sight. And so the world is trying to accuse everybody. And the accusation is you don't have what you need for life. The gospel would come and declare to you, God is with you. He has the life you're longing for in his hand. His hand is stretched forth towards you to give it to you as a gift. Even should you come down off the cross, even should you get it right to gather all the riches of the world to yourself, it can't clothe you in the life of God. It can't give you the comfort that you need. 
It's not the strong according to the flesh. It's not the noble according to the flesh. It's not the wise according to the flesh that are justified with life. This is the gospel that would have been preached to Jesus. It would have been discerning the voice of the stranger and the voice of the father. The good shepherd. Right? And the gospel would have preached to Jesus, the father is your shepherd. He is your sheepfold. His life is the door that's guarding you. No thieves and robbers can come up and snatch your life from his hand. Right? And do you, do you, do you know what would come out of Jesus? We, we call it the magic prayer. I hate to say it like this, but I really don't because we have such a jacked up view of theology and the gospel in, in Western Christianity that we don't even understand this. We call it the magic prayer. It's, saying the magic prayer isn't what gets somebody saved. Amen. Coming and saying, my, coming and saying, well, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've been a bad boy and I committed these sins, talking about bad behavior. That's not the gospel that saves. Jesus was saved. He said, quote, unquote, the magic prayer. And do you know what the magic prayer was in the eyes of Jesus who also needed to be saved, who had the gospel preached to him? And do you know how he responded when he heard the gospel preached inside of him by the Holy Spirit? Father, into your hands I commit my desire for life. Do you see what happened? He was alive to God. He saw God lifted up in his eyes. He saw God's life lifted up in his eyes. He saw nothing could separate him from the Father's love for him. And that preached to him. And that caused him to call upon the name of the Lord and commit his life into the hands of the Father. Right? That's the gospel message. That's what it's supposed to look like. What are we trying to be saved from? Death. What does death try to tell us? We don't have what we need for life. Why does it try to tell us that? Because it wants us to pick up our own life. It wants us to try to justify ourselves with life through the things of the world or the things we could do. The gospel comes and rebukes that message, and it rebukes it by showing you the justification of life that's in the Father. Right? And that's what justification is. It's for your heart to be defended against an accusation. That's what it is. Your heart now becomes defended from an accusation. And now... The accusation is kept from your heart. And so Jesus was being accused, right? But then Jesus saw the Father because the gospel was preached to him. The Father is with you. The life you're longing for is in his hand. It's his good pleasure to give it to you as a gift. Every good thing you think you can gain from the world, I understand why you think it can give you something, but it can never justify you with life. It can never clothe you with the life that satisfies the life that satisfies, the only life that will give you your heart satisfaction is the life that's in God himself. And God is with you. That's what the gospel would sound like, Maurice. Can you imagine for one second, when you think about it, how a major element of the way the gospel is communicated in uh, churches everywhere is that God rejected Jesus at the cross. Yep. Now, I just got to say this, that the people who were crucifying him, the people who were crucifying the Lord, that's what they said. So we're going to join them? Now, I just got to ask, are you going to join the world in saying God rejected Jesus at the cross? Not everybody. Listen. Many, many people in this world believe that 
God rejected Jesus at the cross, who was dead in our sins. Mm -hmm. But that is not what happened. What happened was God was with Jesus at the cross. Seymour, 99% of Christianity says that God rejected Jesus. No doubt about it. All the... Only one person did. Hold hold on, hold on. We didn't say no one didn't. The, the idea is that that's what the people that were there were saying. And that's what 99% of the church is still saying. God turned right? his back on Jesus because he took our sin upon himself. In fact, you, you can't go into any Good Friday service in America without hearing that. You, you could turn on the world's most famous grace preacher right now that's on Christian TV. I won't mention them by name because it's not about the people's names. And you'll hear on almost every message that the father had to turn his back on the son to accept you. And so we're, we're not saying that there isn't a single person who didn't believe it. We're saying, by and large, that's the prevalent thought, which is a big problem. But what was in, what, what was in God, in the Lord's heart and his mind as he hung there on the cross, was he knew that he was God's beloved son in whom he was mm-hmm. That's right. That is what sustained him the cross. That's what held him on the cross. That's what helped him endure the cross. And that is what raised him from the dead. Not that God rejected him ever at any time. God was with the son. And it was that faith that raised him from the dead. That's right. And to Maurice's point, if you had to take it down to a real simple thing, like one phrase, you could pick out a couple of different phrases, but that's a great, like, couple of words to outline what was the gospel preached to jesus you are my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased right what does it mean that the father called jesus his son it means that the life jesus had was from above it means he was alive to the father's life and he was dead to the life or the death that's in the world that's the message that jesus heard on the cross that saved him from the death and caused him to call upon the name of the Father. That's the message that we should be preaching in the earth as the church. And it's a real simple thing. And we won't come to, you got all these different kind of ministers, you even have different fa- flavors of grace, right? That have a portion that sounds nice, right? It sounds nice, it sounds loving, but they don't talk about the faith. And if people could come together, what is it that saved Jesus? And why did it? What is it? Is the message that he needed to hear when he was nailed to a cross? We start building our idea of the faith around that. That's what Paul did. You see, Paul didn't go off and say, well, I'm a real smart guy. I've memorized all the verses. So now I'm going to build my doctrine in my ministry. Paul came to the place where he realized, Paul, Saul, who knew all the verses in and out? He came to the place where he realized everything he knew was dumb. And that there's only one person who knows. And he started thinking, I put it in a little bit different language, but this is what the Pauline revelation is. What was in that guy's heart that he ended up glorified with immortality? What is it that was in that guy's heart that he believed that when he was nailed to a cross and had all sin and death upon him, he was able to overcome sin and death in the flesh and end up glorified with the immortality of God in his flesh? What is it? And so, to use a different language, Paul would have said, well, what was the gospel message to him? What is it that he believed on that caused this to happen in him? And that's what we should all be coming together. If we want to argue about something or weigh something, that's what we should be doing. 
and letting that be the building block. And then what will happen is that will start discerning all these other doctrines is what will happen. Right, you'll you'll start seeing real clearly what these other doctrines and whether they hold true can, or not. I can tell you one thing: I'm not going to be join the ones that were crucifying him, saying the father rejected him because he did not reject. Him. No, and Maurice, to your point, are we going to agree with the people that didn't have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Are we going to agree with the people that were filled with the world? No. Right. Yeah. And it's it's like what what Barthi said. The one time. What you just said is very similar to that. Sometimes we can be so steeped in our traditions that someone can come with the word and the scriptures, but we're so set in our traditions that we won't even listen to what they say. And I, I, I can't remember when it was, but we were we were starting to point out penal substitution is is a perverted view of the cross. And so Bertie put up a picture of Jesus from the Passion bent over the flogging station. And the centurion's flogging him. And he just put the picture up there and let everybody look at it. And he said, which one's God? Mm. Which one's filled with the Holy Spirit? The centurions or Jesus? Because we've all been taught that Jesus was bruised by the Father. And so now are we going to say that it was the Holy Spirit in the centurions that were causing them to do that to Jesus? Go back and watch the Passion, watch that scene, and then ask yourself if that's the Spirit of God in those centurions. Like Maurice just said, are we going to agree with what the world said about that whole picture? So again, what would the gospel be that would be preached to Jesus? That will start revealing to you if you're a minister or if you're not a minister, quote-unquote, but you have a gospel message you're believing in, is that the message that would have been preached to Jesus? Right? Do you think that the Holy Spirit told Jesus? When in the scriptures do you see Jesus giving all of his tithes to be blessed? I mean, there's only one account where he pulls the coin out of the fish's mouth. He says, render unto God what's God's. No, he says, render unto Caesar's what's Caesar's. And what did he say with Caesar's? The money. Render unto God what's God. <laughs> right? Does does it does that make does do people understand what I'm saying? Seymour, do you understand what we're saying? The only thing I was saying. Say it out. Say it louder so we can hear. On the microphone. When he was on the cross, what did one of the other ones say? Remember me. And he said, "You will be in paradise." So he believed that Jesus on the cross was being crucified. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah. No, I I I agree with what you're saying. But it, in the context of what Maurice was saying, I didn't want those two things to be presented differently. You're absolutely right. The thief on the cross did not believe that. But all those, the worldly people down there did believe it, and much of the church still believes it, unfortunately. Right? Yeah. Would to God, I say that, and people are like, what does that mean? It's in the scriptures. Would to God, it means your prayer to God. Would to God that the body of Christ would believe as well as the thief on the cross. <laughs> Right? That Jesus never stopped being the Son of God. That he was the Son of God on the cross. Right? That he was loved by the Father on the cross. Right? And afterwards, one of the centurions gets a revelation. Even after all that, and Jesus cries out to the Father, one of the centurions says, Truly, this is the Son of God. How could he cry out Father in this place? Jesus never, nowhere in the scriptures can you see where Jesus ever questioned that he was the Son of God. Right. I mean, nowhere. That's right. 
you know, I mean, he never doubted one second because then he would have been in sin. Right. That's right. He would have been in sin. He would have been in unbelief. I mean, we say that, that it's interesting because we say that Jesus upbraided and chastised the disciples for their unbelief. But then we come and describe him as being in unbelief yeah. on the cross. And we don't see the hypocrisy there. And that the way we're describing Jesus as a hypocrite. This is the gospel message to Jesus. God is with you. The life you're longing for, the justification from this death, from this cross, from all these accusations, the comfort you're longing for, the peace you're longing for, the love you're longing for is found in the Father, and the Father is with you, stretching his hand out towards you to clothe you in those things. He will not allow you to be overcome by this cross. He will not allow your life to be overcome by this death. He has a life in himself that even overcomes the death in the flesh, right? I like that Seymour brought that up about the thief on the cross saw it because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the wisdom of God has always been in the earth and it's always been available to be seen. There are some people that preach this hyper dispensationalism that make it sound like it wasn't even available. But what happened in the resurrection was that finally we had something that blew up the wisdom that was in the world. Mm -hmm. The wisdom that, that had caused those people to come to the idea, this man is stricken, smitten of a God and afflicted. Yeah. Because they had bought into a wisdom. Jesus was full of a different wisdom. And these two, here we go. Yeah. We got contradiction going yeah. on. And what happened in the resurrection is it took the wisdom of the world and it blew it up because the wisdom of the world puts the fear of death in you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in the resurrection, we discover, okay, death is not that thing that needs to be feared and lifted up. We've got something that's far superior to that. And it prevailed. In Colossians, it says he spoiled principalities and powers. Well, that's how the principalities and powers got spoiled because they had come with a wisdom, the wisdom of the world, and the resurrection just blew it up. Yeah, the world thought it's the strong after the flesh that have yeah. life, the noble after the flesh that have life, the wise after the flesh that have life, right? And they didn't see any of that in Jesus. And so he must not have life. And that's why they would come to all those conclusions. And the gospel preached to Jesus was that life isn't found in the flesh looking strong. It's not found in being clothed in the, the garments from the world. I know the thief on the cross hoped that. I do, and, and, and Seymour, I'm so glad you said what you said because it draws another contradiction for people that's powerful. Because how could you have Jesus telling the thief that he would be with him in paradise if he thought he was forsaken? Right. A guy who thinks he himself is forsaken is not busy telling someone else about how they're gonna be with him in paradise. And our, our finite human brains don't grab onto these contradictions, right? And we don't recognize that the, the, we preach a double mind in Jesus, and we don't even realize it. And we don't stop to try to weigh it out. And so thank you for, for mentioning that, because that, that's a powerful... And me, I can get in my complex doctrinal things, and those things are true also. But that statement is just a... A, a very like easy thing for people to see. He said that. Can a guy who thinks he's forsaken tell somebody else they won't be forsaken? Come on, man. <laughs> it's like we don't even think about the things we say. We just say them because our father said them. And we they've been handed down by all the people that were on the TV. 
And don't you know, the sign that someone knows what they're talking about is that they're rich and they're on the TV. And now this is what we believe. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But Jesus was the weakest of every single person that you had ever seen after the flesh. And he was the one that knew the truth. But we've taken our cue about the truth from people that are in worldliness, right? So if they're on the TV, by golly, it must be that they know. <laughs> if they have money, by golly, it must mean that they know. If they have 10,000 people in their church, by golly, it must mean that they know. No, none of that means anything. How do we know? We'll put that next to Jesus. How many people did Jesus have with him when he was dying on the cross? How many people did he have with him before he was dying on the cross? He had almost zero. And at one point, they all ran away, and he looked at the 12, and he said, will you leave me now also? And at the cross, who was there? John and Mary. But we want to take our cue from somebody that looks like they're approved of by the world. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having a big church, but if you're looking at a big church as the sign, a big church is only the sign that men honor you. And you don't want to take your cues about what the truth is from people who have the honor of man. Because you see, Jesus had no honor from man. And he was the only, he is the truth. Right? You know, it's funny, if he felt forsaken, he might have told a thief, today you'll be in paradise. Yeah. But he said, with me. With me. <laughs> with me. And going to my wife's point, uh, that he never doubted that he was the son of God. You know, if you're ever going to doubt you're the son of God, would probably be on a cross, nailed to a cross. But his last words was, Father. Right. So even in his last breath he knew he was the son of god yeah and the gospel message to jesus would come and paint a picture of the father there with him right and the life of the father there with him right and that him having no separation between him and the father and the father's life that's what he would have saw and that's what the gospel message would have come to told him and that's the message that we should be preaching to people the father is with them and there's no separation between them and the father's life the Father is there to serve them with life. Call upon his name, right? Look to him for the life you're longing for. It's his good pleasure to give it to you. That's what Jesus knew. That's what he believed. That's why he called upon the Father. That, that's the word that the Spirit would have preached to him. Does that make sense? And you guys keep going off and thinking about that. What would the gospel message sound like to Jesus? Right? And then also... Like I said before, I want people to keep twisting on this. It might feel uncomfortable, but keep doing it. It'll give you a great revelation. We're talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh. That means we're talking about Jesus as a human, like you and me, not necessarily the Messiah, even though he is the Messiah. I'm not saying he's not, but this can help us identify with the faith that was in his heart. Would Jesus have still ended up on the cross if he hadn't come as the Messiah, if it's just Jesus as an individual in the earth who knows God, would he still have ended up on the cross and why? And that, I already gave you a hint. The answer is yes. He still would have ended up on the cross. Now the power for you is to come to the revelation of why. Why would he have still have ended up there? Because he identified as the son. He identified as the son. Yep. That's right. And then that carries with it lots of implications about where life is found and where life is not found, right? And if you don't think life is found in the world, guess what you don't fight to hold on to? 
the life that's in the world. Yeah. Claiming to be God back then get you crucified. Claiming to be God will get you crucified. And not only that, this is what a lot of people miss. The power to experience the life of the Father, it happens inside of you when you first lay down the life you have from the world. Yep. Cross. Y- y- you have to lay down the life you have in the world in order to experience the life of the Father. Right? You can't be calling the world Father and God Father. It's the same thing Jesus said in Matthew when he said, you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll love the one and hate that other one. And so most Christians are living double-minded. They, they haven't understood the, the, the way of Jesus or why he ended up on the cross as just the Son of Man. Their only reference point is Jesus ending up on the cross as the Messiah, as the Anointed One, which is very true. He is, and he did. And that has a powerful ministry. I'm not doing away with any of that. But Jesus also, as the Son of Man, as an individual, would have still ended up on the cross. Why? Because that will bring forth the same thing in you. And you know what happens when that comes forth in you? You start having intimacy with the power of the resurrection, which is what we want for people, to have intimacy with the power of the resurrection. Well, you can't have intimacy with the power of the resurrection unless you first experience the cross in your heart. Right? Good. Glory to God. We'll just pray. Thank you, Father, that uh, even as we we talk about these questions and weigh these things, that uh, we're not alone to weigh those things by ourselves. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the Holy Spirit and that that same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus preaching the gospel to him, that that Holy Spirit is, is with us, that Holy Spirit is in us. I thank you, Lord, that that Holy Spirit has been poured out inside of us so that it could show us the way of Jesus, the way in his heart, that that Holy Spirit was poured out inside of us because you knew that the flesh is weak. You knew that the flesh cannot lay down its own life, Lord. You knew that the Spirit is willing, Father. And I just thank you that that Holy Spirit is dwelling in all of us and all the people that will listen to this message. And that Holy Spirit is working something in us where just as Jesus laid down the life he could have from the world, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is ministering that same thing inside of us to where we are laying down the life we can have from this world, that we start having intimacy with the power of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that that is what you are working in the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that that is what you're working in this body here, Father. And we just thank you for the glory of your will that we could be intimate with the power of the resurrection, for the glory of your will, that we could just be intimate with your life, Father. We just stand in awe that you have chosen, that we could partake with you in your life, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is showing us that this world has nothing to offer us, Lord, that it cannot offer us anything in the way that can even come close to what you've offered us in yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you guys for contributing. Thank you for sitting through the heat.